Amen. You can be seated. Um, man, I just, man, I appreciate the, the practice and the preparation that our, our praise team puts in, um, and I appreciate the way that they do things. Uh, but that, that, last, that last chorus that we sing, I exalt thee. You know, if, you, if you're anything like me, you realize that God has done so much for you, and he is so good. And, and he is God. He's not just good because um, he does something for me. If he did nothing for me, he's still good. And I appreciate, and I don't have, I joke because I don't, I don't have musical talent. And I appreciate how the instrumentalists have the talent to, to build in a song. But you know, just the beat in our chest is enough for it. To just go outside in the middle of our front yard and just look up in the sky and just cry out that song as well. Man, God is holy. He's good. Um. He is present, not just here, but, but God is real. And if there's some part of you that doubts that, that's okay. And if you're watching at home and you just you meant to click on a link and it wasn't what you thought, and, it, and this is what you're watching, it is, it is okay if, if, if what feels like is going on is by accident or by searching, but God is real, and I believe that he's put enough evidence in, in this life, in this world, and will continue to show himself um, clear and true and mighty to you. Um, I'm excited. Easter's coming up um, I, because I'm I'm choosing during this time um, to to do something with my diet just to help some heartburn and indigestion and, and just overall health. I'm, I'm postponing all the Easter candy that I'm going to eat for a, a while. So uh, it, good luck. You have all rights to it up to when I'm off. Of this 30-day thing, and then uh, then look out, I'm coming for it. So if you don't buy it now, um, that's not my fault. I'm 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 coming for it soon. Um, and 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 there are there are trivial parts of Easter like that that I I, I like. I see it in stores, and it triggers my mind. Um, but but I'm I think I'm more excited about this Easter coming up than any Easter in my life. Um, just because the truth of Easter is that we have a new life in Jesus, and Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, and, and after today, we'll, pr we'll probably be in a break from, from the, the series in Acts, um, and, and I hope we're doing this in a way that it's easy for all of us to track and come back, um, but, but in this part of Acts chapter 5, we're going to have a gospel message given to these followers of Jesus, a very clear gospel message, very simple instructions to go and take it to the world around them. And, and I believe that God's doing a lot of things in our world right now to awaken us to there's more to this walk with Jesus than we've really ever experienced. And, and, and it'll always require our minds to be open, our hearts to be open, but for, for our lives to be able to be molded and to be changed and be shifted and not be so rigid so that we don't miss some of the greatest opportunities that God gives us. And, and we're going to start to see this here in Acts chapter 5. Um, if you've noticed over the last few weeks when we've been in the study of Acts, we've kind of seen things kind of dial up. And, and maybe you've experienced just life like that. Um, it goes from kind of very smooth, and it seems to take 
these steady steps where it's like, okay, it's, it's a little bit more stressful, a little bit more intense. Okay, it's a little bit more serious. Okay, now I've got to decide, is this what I'm going to invest my heart, my soul, my mind into, whatever that thing is, or am I going to change? Am I going to do something different? Am I going to roll out to option B? Um, and, in, and in Acts 5, we're going to see that things have now heightened, especially for a small group of these followers. But we're going to see what comes out of it is I believe um, it's, it's God really setting them up and constantly working in their lives. Because remember, they're, they're still learning. What does it mean to live with Jesus inside them? And I believe what we're, one of the things that we're going to see today is, is that with Jesus inside of us and the Holy Spirit, he's constantly showing us something that just refines our view and expectations of God. We never arrive at the destination until we arrive in heaven. In salvation, we are, we are saved from the sin that we've committed. As we live, we're, we're being saved. We're being brought closer into an image of Jesus. And ultimately, we're, we're complete in our salvation when we arrive in heaven, when we're in God's presence with him face to face. And these guys are living it out for us to read and really learn about. So as we're in Acts chapter 5 this morning, I really want you to just please listen up to the things that are in this text um, and, and, and what we really see emerge from it, because in all of Acts, one of my favorite things about this book is how you see human nature as, as clear as it ever is in our lives. We see it exactly the same way in, in this book of Acts, but we see the power of God coming alongside of it to want to bring it not just to human nature, but to um, the nature of God lived out on this earth, okay? So uh, verse 12 in chapter 5, we, we read uh, last week we talked about some people dying kind of in a church setup. We're not going to see anybody else killed off today, so good news on that. Um, but there will be a beating, <laughs> just, just fair one. All right, um, ver- not here, just so if you're watching online, we're not going to take anybody out here. If you're here, if you're nervous, you're like, I told you we shouldn't, have come. I told you we shouldn't visit churches. We're not going to take anybody out today, ever, hopefully. Um, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. That's kind of the, it's, it's a specific place around the temple to where this group of believers was meeting. So you still had Jews who were going in and worshiping under Old Testament law. That's happening right around this. But this is a large, a large place of gathering, kind of a central spot where so much of this stuff was happening. Um, no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, in this atmosphere, there's a, there's, there is something we don't know. Um, we, we do see that with Jesus, in, in contact with Jesus, even the, the woman who had um, the, the, the issue of, as the Bible calls it, the issue of blood, it's, it's just it's a, an extremely long issue with her menstrual cycle. We see that she touched Jesus, actually his clothing, and was healed from that. We see that. We see that also with the apostles because Jesus said, you will do, you'll do things just like this, but you'll do them to a greater degree. It wasn't in quality, but in quantity because there's more of them. They could be more places. The Holy Spirit is in each believer. So there's something, there's Jesus level happenings in all of these people. 
So we do see healings like we saw of what Jesus did. But what we don't know from this text is, is did Peter's shadow actually, was there healing in it? We don't know that for sure. What we do know is, is that people were brought specifically for the purpose of being healed. We do know that those folks, when they were dealt with, that there was healings there. Now, sometimes we, we really struggle with this because we go, I, I, I've never seen anything like this. We're going to talk about that a little bit more kind of at, at the end of this message. And, and I do want you to listen um, really to the truth of what God's word brings out. But this is just a partial picture of what we'll be able to see in full as we work through this, as we work through this, um, this passage here. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up because there's always somebody that wants that gets a little irritated when the, the, really the church of Jesus Christ starts growing too much or starts making others uncomfortable. There, there's, there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be some level of resistance. That's not the worst thing in the, in the world. Sometimes it's actually um, an illumination that, that something is going right. Something is worth fighting for. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, it really wasn't a party, you didn't want to get invited, um, they, were filled, they were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now, um, there's a few different ideas of what this would have looked like. Some, some people believe through studying some of the architecture uh, of the temple area and, and the city surrounding it, that this could have been kind of an imprisonment that people could have actually walked by on a street and been able to kind of peer in and see who was in there, maybe with the idea that they would be kind of made a public example. Um, we don't know for sure if that's it, but what is really commonly held is this public jail would have been really a, a common gathering of all levels of crime. Now, I say levels of crime. We don't, we don't say that one sin is greater than another, but we realize in our society you could, you could list a couple of different crimes. You could say jaywalking and murder, and you'd, readily, you'd rather be around 30 jaywalkers than one murder, right? Especially if you're locked behind bars. Well, in this scenario, they would have been locked in the same containment of people that were guilty of, of any kind of crime. Now, it's interesting because in a moment you're going to see God do something miraculously. So notice the commonality, the commonality of crime and sin. Everybody's in the same room. It's interesting, right? It's, it's interesting that God is organizing, I believe, these events for us to see that they're, they're thrown in. And, and yes, that they're the ones that are doing right. But we see this picture of really everything from the standpoint of sin is kind of just held in one area. There's no division of it. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, now this is the first message from heaven since the Holy Spirit came in the second chapter. So they are receiving an audible word that has not been spoken yet. There's, there's been a period of the, of the speaking, the real speaking happening is, is inside of them in the Holy Spirit. But, but they, get, they, get an extra, they get an extra boost. They get, they get, some, they get some, um, some agreement in tone, right? But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people, all about this life. 
some translations put the word new in there. It's, it's understood that this life that they're talking about is life in Jesus. Now, this is a command for them to really hold to the gospel message. This is, this is the Easter message, that there is new life in Jesus. Now, it says in verse 21, Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. There was automatic obedience to this, this proclamation from heaven to say, Hey, go and tell about this life. Now, they were going into a culture that they were very familiar with. They, they, they weren't confused by this culture. This was, a, this was a familiar culture. They understood the way that these people thought. And when they were around people that they really did understand, you would think that they would have said, hey, listen, go in and debate them on the points that you know you could win at. But that's, they didn't say debate them. He didn't say go in and tell them, hey, listen, you've got to start thinking differently. You're wrong in the way you think. They didn't go in and say, hey, listen, you really need to be more committed to what you do. You need to understand that, that you've got to be here and, and here often. And you've got to do all these things. No, he said just simply go in and tell them about new life in Jesus. Because salvation in Jesus Christ is what brings all of us under the same umbrella of belief in him. And it brings us to a place because the Holy Spirit will then indwell us that we then can live any way that he tells us to live. And, and, and I, I know I've said this often, but, but I, I believe that we have something fallible in our processes when we try to have these arguments. And I listen to them too. I watch these viral videos and, it, and it's two different sides who you know clearly see an issue very differently. And when you watch the video, you already know who it is you agree with. You're rarely on the fence. But at the end of the video, do they ever come to an agreement? No. You know why I believe they don't come to an agreement? Because they don't want to move off their position. Salvation says that, that I'm just in the position to live for Jesus. So Jesus, what do you tell me to do? And some people will say that that sounds really short-minded, really naive, really closed off to all the possibilities of this world. But if you believe in Jesus, then you believe that this is the world that God created. And if he is God, if he is holy, then he has to have a purpose and a plan for this world. And to ignore it would be foolish. It would absolutely be foolish. It would, in fact, be the most intelligent thing that we could pursue. And he's, they say, don't, don't get on the wrong conversation. Make sure you get on the right one. Um, the gospel message, please understand this, is about a new life, not a changed life. Say, so hang on a second. Well, but but th th that's, what, that's what it's supposed to be, right? A second chance. Mm -mm. It's, a, it's a second first chance. I, I think... We are, we're wired, especially in our culture, in American culture, we're wired towards self-improvement, right? Um, most of us have gotten on a program or a regiment or something because we've seen results that somebody shows us right up front and they, and they draw us. We say, okay, I can identify with that. I want to I look like that. I want to be like that. I want my life to seem like that. So then we go, okay, I'll, I'll try what you tried. You started um, kind of like me, soft on the edges, a little bit like a schmuck. And, and then now look at you. Like, I'll, I'll give this a shot. It's self-improvement. Salvation in Jesus Christ is new life, not a changed life. Because how in the world can we imagine that we start with something good enough just to kind of fix up if we're supposed to really live like Jesus? It's, it's the greatest wipe the slate 
clean and ignore the slate that's ever marketed anywhere on this planet. It's an unbelievable opportunity, and it's, it's a way of thinking because otherwise we won't really be able to just remove something from our life that we just really want to do and we want to be a part of. I've, I've heard it said this way. I think this is one of the greatest ways that this can be phrased. Um, that Jesus exchanged his life for ours. You get that? Like on the cross, he died representatively, taking the pain and the punishment of what our sin, um, our sin debt was. Um, Jesus exchanged his life for ours so we could exchange our life for his. In other words, when Jesus showed up to pay the price of sin for me, then that opened up a free doorway for me in belief and trust in him to say, okay, Jesus, I, can, I now then, because you took my life on, you took the punishment that I should take, I then can live my life in you. I can take your life on. I, I'm not supposed to just pursue me anymore. I'm supposed to see what your purpose is. And I think that in itself is the greatest check that we can hold ourselves to just in an everyday life. L- look at, I mean, take, six, take a six-month period. Take a three-month period and say, okay, within this time frame, have I been more about my pleasure or his purpose. You say, well, how, how do I really hold myself in check? It's simple. Look, calendar and bank account, right? We, we all have them. I mean, what, what did I do, and what did I spend, and where did I spend it, and, and was I about my pleasure or his purpose? I'm not saying that we have to just flip our accounts and say, okay, well, man, I thought I was, I was shooting to try to give about 10%, and I, I, I got to give 90 I, I, I didn't say that. I'm just saying, where are we intentionally channeling life and really what's the goal in that? I would say the difference would be this. Let's take a home renovation project, okay? We, we all do it. We all get frustrated. I personally am just in awe constantly of my ability to start so many projects yet not finish them. It's, it's really staggering. I mean, if you... If you're a finisher and you're ever like, I want to kick this habit, you need to hang out with me more often. Um, if what we do, if what we do is really to kind of portray, mimic, and set out an image kind of for approval or in comparison of, and that's, that's really kind of what's driving the train, then that's pleasure. If we look at it and say, am I creating an environment for the heart of Jesus to bring people into my home, for, for discipleship, for community, for, for me to raise a family that seeks him often. Man, you want to you, you have the most comfortable living room in the world? Awesome. Let's just do devotions in it. Let's be comfortable while we do And, and, and we're, we're seeking a purpose that can also be a soft seat too, right? It, it's actually a remarkably, I think, efficient way for us to hold ourselves in check. It's really... Purpose versus pleasure. Now, as this story continues, um, they didn't just stay. We, we see already, miraculously, an angel shows up and releases this group of people to go then and begin teaching again. Notice, it, it, they, weren't, they didn't just go back to Solomon's colonnade. He said, go into the temple. I mean, it, it was a little bit more, um, a little bit different audience, right? Like, it was, it's a little bit more... Um, in, not, I don't want to say in your face, but it's, it's definitely, if you're preaching in the temple, um, then you're going you're gonna to run into a little bit more of a crowd that's going to be maybe 
not so happy with what you're up to at that moment. Um, When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. When, but when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, as I was reading this, just even as I reread this this morning, this is something that really, I think, jumped out to me. I, I believe the Lord kind of showed me. The people that went in there, um, they arrested them, uh, clearly frustrated. You, you lock someone up, you go back to get them, and, it, it, and the, I mean, the, the lock is on the, on the gate. The guards are out front. They're not inside. Baffled would probably just barely begin to describe how that meeting went. You've been in enough family conversations and work meetings. This one, it, I mean, emotions are at the absolute highest and confusion is at the absolute highest. This is when people say stuff that you only just repost on your social media. It's just, it's amazing environments. They go back and they, they bring them back in. But they say, we're not going to do this by force because there's all this crowd around them. And these folks that went to get them were afraid, they were scared that the crowd would be so passionate and so angry at them for what they were getting ready to do that they would stone them. I find that very interesting because that's exactly what they wanted to do to the apostles. There is this thing in human nature where sin, sin expects sin. Does that make sense? What sin expects is what sin does. These people who had such hate in their heart assumed that they would be dealt with, with hate. Why is it when you turn on some whatever that you listen to and you're just almost floored by the tone that someone has? I mean, you, you listen to them, you're like, why, why are you trying to put a believer kind of inside this box and say you can and you can't and, and you just seem so angry? Why, why, why are you trying to position Christians this really awful way? It's because that's how their heart feels about people that are Preaching and sharing Jesus. When, when your heart is full of hate, you tend to expect that others are going to hate you. I, I believe that's why Christians right now are being so accused of using hate language. Because when someone hates, they assume that what you're saying is hate. Sin expects... If, if you ever, have you ever noticed that someone who's up to something expects that everybody else is up to it too? Oftentimes, um, people that are unfaithful in relationships are the first to accuse someone else outside of that relationship of being unfaithful. People that lie a lot tend to look at others suspiciously as they are always lying to them. What sin does, sin expects. 
And that's what we're seeing here in these people's lives. After they brought them in, they heard them. St- they um they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, "Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood." Now, th- to me, this is a little odd. You know the door was locked. You know the guards were out front. Why is the first question that you ask not, how did you get out? Right? Like, how is that not the first question? Right? Because, like, that's the thing that makes the least sense. So what does that tell us? It tells us even though they didn't believe, they recognized that God was doing something. And you can see it at the end of the chapter. There's a gentleman that speaks about this movement of Jesus. And he says, listen, if it's God, you can't stop it. He's within the Sadducee movement. And he said, look, if it's, it's if it's God, you can't stop it. So you might as well just let it go. Either it'll, it'll fizzle it out or it, it'll be real. They ask what they were really, they ask about what they really wanted to stop. Why are you speaking in this name? They didn't even want to say Jesus. Because I'm telling you, that there's a song by that title. There's something about that name. The people that hate them, they did not even want to say the name of Jesus. Because you do know, I mean, Jesus proved it to himself. Even demons know his name. There's something just in our soul as believers, when we just are having a moment, if you can just get everything quiet, I would offer this as maybe even just a recommendation for this week. When you really are feeling overwhelmed about something, just in a really respectful, heart-open kind of way, just get in the quietest place you can get to and just repeat Jesus. And just give yourself a breath after you say it. Because I'm telling you, after about the third time, you'll notice it'll start to take your breath away. It really will. And they're so frustrated because it, they're, they're even, they've got to they've be getting it, right? Like, you get it. I get it. I mean, you're, the empty tomb, they go back to check on it. Now, that time, everybody was knocked out unconscious, the stone was rolled away. This time, everybody's awake, but the door's still locked. But there's a lot of similarities to you were locked. We thought we had you locked up, and now you're not. They've got to see some of these similarities. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as a ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness to sins. We are witnesses to these things, so in the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This, this chapter, in a very simple way, is a pretty great example on how we can live for Jesus and obey government. And I think we're living in a, in a season in our lifetime, where we'll, we, we may need to really contemplate that. What does that look like? How, how, do, how do we live in obedience to government that God shows us in his, in his word in ways that we're supposed to, are, we are supposed to acknowledge authority, but also live for the Lord? Well, as, as, a, as a brief example, as a brief example, um, number one, they, they obeyed God. Um, they, they, they trusted the Lord when he put them places and when he sent them places that those were the places that they should be and they should go. So they faithfully went. And they, they didn't just go. They didn't go halfway. They didn't just show up. They went and they voiced the message that God had told them to voice. They were faithful. The second thing, though, is 
when their faithfulness came into conflict with the government, when, when it wasn't appreciated by the government, when the government just said, listen, we, we want you to come over here with us, when it was just a matter of we want you to go here, when it was just simple things, they walked along in obedience. I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go in here and we'll answer for what we have done, where we are. We'll give an account. But when government says, don't speak Jesus' name, they said, we hear you. But if the Lord has told us to speak his name, then we must speak his name. Now, weighing that out is where we need to make sure that we have plenty of maturity on our side. When you look at what the church is going through all across this world, not that they're my favorite thing to wear, but I can hardly call a mass persecution. Right? Like, that, like that's not persecution. Persecution is you can't worship. You can't worship. Not you can't worship in these ways that may be less convenient. We have to weigh that out with a lot of maturity because there will be moments in this world's timeline that someone will need to stand up for the cause of Christ and what God specifically says to do. And I believe the faithful will always do that. But I believe that God's voice inside of us gives us the wisdom to know when that is and when that isn't. And they walked in faithfulness, and they walked in obedience to God, but they also ran right up against. And it's getting ready to, it's getting ready to be a punishment. They're getting ready to fill it. But they walked faithfully. Before I, before I go to that section, I do, want to, I do want to touch on this because now we've seen, the full, we've, we've seen the full lineup of miracles in this passage. We've seen just these miracles that are happening that everybody's excited about, the kind of miracles that everybody wants going on. And we also see this miraculous work where, where the apostles were freed from prison, were freed from prison to then go preach the gospel, the gospel being about this life in Jesus. So we've seen all this complete picture of miracles in the Bible. So what do we take when it really comes down to miracles and, and what to expect God do? And I believe this is the safest thing that we can expect. Miracles happen to turn people's attention towards God and, build, and building his kingdom. I don't know about you. I tend to pray for things that would just really make my life better, that would make, my, that would make me more comfortable. And, and I, there's no shortage of how much I want God to do for me. But, but trustworthy expectations, healthy expectations, when we're really digging what God's word says, that he will do everything when it really comes to building his kingdom. I listened to a podcast, well, really a conference yesterday, and, and there's a gentleman who grew up in, in a very... Um, church culture, much like I would consider myself having grown up in, and, and, and went to work as a, as a pastor in that church culture. Right now, currently, where he feels like God has led him is, is to some parts of remote Asia where he's going and he's dealing with civilizations, with tribes that have never, ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. And in this interview that he gave, he said, listen, he said, I grew up really kind of in a rhythm of church. He said, but I go over there and I'm hearing these stories that just don't make sense because it's just what I've never seen. And he tells a story about how he walked into this village. In fact, they took the translator that went back with him, didn't even want to go because the last time he left, he, literally he was in flight because they were trying to stone him. They were just throwing rocks at him because they didn't want to hear about 
this Jesus that he came even just to translate about. And when this individual goes in, he, he said that people start coming up and saying, show us. And he said a lady came up to him because she had heard in other villages that people had been healed. And she asked him, he said, because she had this huge um, swelling over her eye. It was affecting her vision. It was giving her horrible headaches. She said, I, if, if your God is real, then, then have him heal me. And, and, and this guy says in his own account, he said, I, I, I don't even know what to expect at this moment. He said, but we come around her and he said, we lay hands on her. He said, we pray in the name of Jesus for her. He said, the name of Jesus that she has no idea what's it about. And after that prayer, she stands up and she says, I can, I can, I can see better. My headaches are gone. And he said, I'm flipping out because I'm going, all right, Lord, are you doing And Because he said, he said, he said, I, he said, I'm the one praying. And he said, I probably had more doubts than anybody else in the room. He said, and the lady said, well, but I still see this. Can, can you pray over this swelling? He said, so they laid hands on and they started praying over this so that God would take that swelling away from her. And he said, as they started praying, and he said, he's looking. And he said, he said literally, while someone's praying, he said, the guy beside him's like, do you think it's getting smaller? I think it's getting smaller. And as they pray over her, he said they, the swelling is just gone. He said, then he looked at her and he said, literally, he said, there was just this red line under her eye. And he said, he said, I, I don't even know what to do at this point. He said, I'm just trying to figure out how to be faithful. He said, so literally, he said, I said, hang on a second. He said, I just covered it with my finger. He said, because it wasn't a long red line. He said, I just covered it along with my finger. He said, I prayed that God, if that was something that he wanted to heal, that he would heal it. He said, I took it off. He said, and the red line was still there. He said, I guess it was just a birthmark. And then the interviewer asked him, they said, okay, is this the kind of thing that is, that, that is happening when you're taking the gospel into a people group who have never heard about him? And he said, yes. And they said, what's the result? He said, people are getting saved. Right? So I'm not saying that because we've heard about Jesus that God can't do miraculous things. But as a, as a simple current reference, and I believe um, a very clear and true past reference, we can't expect God to do miraculous things to build his kingdom. And I believe we should pray for him. But I believe we should trust in God to also know that he walks with us daily regardless of what we see and what we experience. And I wouldn't even share that story with you if I didn't know this person's life really, really well. Because I believe that what he's seen and experienced is God working. In this passage, as you continue down, it says in here um, that there is a, a gentleman, and he does say, as I told you before, he says, listen, he said, I, don't, I, don't, I think we need to be careful here. If this is really God working, then, then, then it's going to be real and it's going to last. But if it's not God, it's going to fizzle out. It's not, it's, it's not going to be any real, real big deal. This is how we see this passage come to an end, verse 40. After they called in the apostles... And had them flogged. And they, I mean, they beat them. They took a beating for this. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on, the, on behalf of the name. Isn't that crazy? How do, how do we really know? What, what is because God doesn't want pride to rule our life. But how do we know, really within our own heart, 
okay, Lord, I, I am walking close to you. I've, I've grown in my faith in you. How do I know when I'm there, when I'm approaching that position to really then trust you more? When we can look at circumstances and say, man, isn't that amazing that that just happened? Because that happened because they see me so much like they see Jesus. I mean, if, if we as a group of believers, as a church, or even as individuals, if someone looks at, 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 at us the way we live, if they hear our message, and, and they see it line up so well with Jesus, and they don't like what he preaches and teaches so much that they then want to do something negative to us, I mean, okay, right? I mean, it... Wouldn't that be okay to some level? I mean, couldn't we, get, couldn't we step back and say, man, to the glory of God, I, I'm, God, thank you that you've allowed me to look so much like Jesus to someone that I would be able to know in a moment, hey, is that didn't feel good on me, Jesus, man, we're in this walk together. Th th these are the kind of footsteps that you walk, so you know this. You can minister to me in what I need, and I can trust that you're there with me. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal in this moment. Every day in the temple... And in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, in this whole passage, I want you to please not, not miss this, not miss this. The gospel message that these folks lived out, they were freed, they were freed, which represents salvation from a common prison. No matter what our upbringing it is, I was a church kid. I have no more right to salvation than somebody that is, is, has got just a rap sheet just stacked up one right after the other. We're common in that sin exists in us. And despite that, when Jesus gave his life for us, we, he exchanged it so that when we could live our life for him. So now I have a new life in Christ that I get to go tell people about. It's, there's a common phrase that's said a lot in a lot of churches over the past five years, and it's simply this, that saved people are meant to save people. Like that is what's supposed to be happening. And that's what, the, that's what these apostles heard. And they said, listen, I know what I've received, so I know what I've got to do. In fact, I know who I was, so I know who I have to go after. Too many times we're, really, we're in this mindset of once we really have kind of been a believer so for, for a certain amount of time, we, we at times start to exclude non-believers from our life to, to too much of an extent. I'm not saying that we, we fall into paths that lead us more into temptation. We're supposed to flee temptation. But that doesn't mean that we can't interact with people that don't know Jesus on a very real and regular level. And I'm the worst at it. I go in preoccupied with what's in my brain every time I go into some establishment and I consistently fail on a regular basis to share my faith enough. I know this. I know this about myself. And the fault is not in Jesus in an opportunity. It's in me. It's in me being wrapped up in my stuff and not just in awe of who Jesus is in my life. Because if I'm saved and I know what that's like, then I should be the most passionate about going and finding those same kind of people. Again, to pursue God's purpose more than our pleasure. I want to, I want to use this illustration as we, as we come to an end. Um, I, I've heard this used, and, and I'm just simply borrowing it 
um, because honestly, it, um, as I've heard it over the years, I've made notes about this several times, and, and I know where they are, so I just went back and grabbed great resources that other people had shared in a very organized way. So I hope this kind of helps put this in perspective, okay? Um, you, you, you heard about a ship named Titanic. You've heard about that story, I'm assuming. Leonardo DiCaprio, huh? Yeah. So. Um, there were 1,503 5, people died in the Titanic crash, okay? 1,503 people. 705 people survived. The designer of the boat, and if you remember this, this is a conversation they had at dinner in the movie. There were supposed to be 48 lifeboats. They were the original plan of the chief designer. There were only 20 lifeboats actually on the ship. On average, on average, of the first lifeboats that were let down into the water for rescue, they had a capacity of 65 people. On average, they carried 28. On the very first lifeboat that was let down, it had 12 people in it only. Five passengers and seven crew to serve them. It was nicknamed the millionaire boat because famously they were the first boat that just ignored the cries of people for help. And they turned other people away so that they could be let down in more comfort. There were 472 empty spaces in lifeboats. You catch that number? 705 survived. And they still had 472 empty seats. One. That's the number of lifeboats that returned to try to save others. The fear was that if you've ever studied that wreck, that as the ship went down, it would create a vacuum and it would pull others down into it. Only one ship went back knowing that that could happen to risk saving the lives of others. I, I use this example as I've heard this example for this purpose. We aren't saved just to stay saved. We're saved so that we could tell someone else. And, and, and I want you, if you will, as we use this week, really, and this week is really, I pray, launching us towards Easter and towards a lifestyle of Easter. I want you to consider for a second what it was to be in the common prison. Whether you or I thought we were better off than someone else or we just had a better start at life than someone else, we were guilty of sin. But in salvation in Jesus, Jesus stepped forward to say, no matter if it was one or a million, you ultimately won't want to take what is going to be required of this. So he stepped onto the cross for us. And giving his life, we're able to receive his life, to live his life out. That's what we live in, in owing him. And as we live that life out, as we live that life out, God is going to do things in us and around us to build his kingdom. And we get to be part of it. But in a very simple way, as the angel said here, we're supposed to hear time and time again in our minds, 
I am going to free you, so now you go and tell about this new life. You don't have to go and argue and debate with everybody in the world. There will be some that will take those seats, and they'll try to present a clear gospel, I pray. But for us, it's to just go and say, let me tell you about new life in Jesus. My job isn't to change the way someone thinks, but if they'll commit their life to Christ, they'll understand how much he loves them and how much they owe him and can live for him, then what he says, they will be equipped to do. I believe that I and you can get over the greatest and most difficult sins just because Jesus lives in us. And the reason why I don't is about me, not him. So that tells me, submit to him a little bit more and you, and, and you will do a little bit better. Submit to him a lot and you will see the most amazing things in your life take place. And I believe we can have the regular people that we see and specific people that God puts on our heart as our mission field to say, I will not just sit in my seat. I won't be served. I'm going to get out of serve call. Like, I'm, I don't, like, I'm going to stop thinking about what someone else can do for me or what they should do for me or what's the minimum I can do. or give. We're going to start thinking about who can I tell about this new life in Jesus that I have. I believe that that's what we as believers will do. We won't look at our life about can I do this, can I not do this. It'll be about who can I tell about Jesus? But first, we have to really, we have to really sit down and, and take in. What do I believe about Jesus? If statistics are true, if statistics are true, a lot of people that come to church regularly don't know Jesus as their personal Savior. Right now, the latest statistics are coming out of COVID. Overall, churches in America are expecting to, to lose 20 to 30% of their attendance. Why do you think that is? My personal belief is, is because that attendance was simply that, attendance. And my prayer is, is that, that, that we don't have people secure in attendance, but we have people really wanting to know Jesus and just love him and be loved by him. Man, I, I just, I, I, this is an individual thing. This is a collective thing. But it is the thing, right? Like it is the thing. And my prayer is for you in your mind and, and in your heart, I, I, I trust that when you come in here that there is, there's so much prayer that goes into God. What do you want us to speak on? What, do you, what words do you want said today? That, that my prayer is, my confidence is that regardless of how I present something, you right now are hearing God's truth out of his word to meditate on yourself to realize that you have an opportunity just like I do to hear and to go. To hear and to go. Would you bow your heads for just a second as you're at home watching, if you will, just in a moment of focus. I, I, I know that in our lives, there is no limit to the miracles that we really have a desire for God to see. And my prayer is, and, 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 and my hope is for myself, that in every way I can, every way we can, we, we really look at with a full heart, God, I, I, you know my desire, you know my fears, you know my insecurities, you know the things that worry me, you know the things that weigh on me. God, help me 
to see this world as your kingdom, what you're wanting to build in it. So God, help me to be used in, in, in any way I can to build that. So Lord, um, with, with what I want you to do in me, God, help me to pray over that and see that as something that can radically change the kingdom and build the kingdom, God, for you. And if you choose to use that, God, help me to, help me to tell that in the most accurate way that I can. The, the gentleman that I listened to yesterday was so clear in how they just simply shared, this is the power of Jesus wanting to reveal himself to you. Wanting to reveal himself to you. And, and, and the message of this angel is the same. Go and tell about this life. This will be my prayer and, and my encouragement for you this week. With, with your groups that you meet with, with your friends, with, with our church staff, our elders, the, 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 the folks of this church, this church family that you're a part of, my encouragement would be is, is, to, is to have some practice time talking about the life of Jesus, talking about the life that you live, the struggles that you have, what you see God doing. Practice those conversations in safe zones and then look for opportunities as we go out and just to simply offer that story to someone else. You know as well as I do, you, you know that moment where the conversation starts. It may not even be a conversation that we're ready to have or we want to have at the moment, but we see someone almost leaning into it. To be ready for those moments where we can just simply say, I, I don't have to know that person's story, but man, I can tell them about who Jesus is. And I can tell them about no matter what their path has been in life, good, bad, or ugly, there's a new one for them in Jesus Christ. And I don't have to, I don't have to fix them or worry about what sin they're in because that's all under the guidance and the grace and the glory of God for him to work on. I mean, let me have some boldness about my conversations when I see somebody, even if I know something about them, to just go, you know what? To, to live for Jesus, that's, that's almost simple to fix. That's simple to get straight. Because my trust in him is so great. Because I've seen him fix me. I've seen him fix me in so many ways. If you don't know this Jesus, if you're ready today to exchange your life for his, I want you to know that as, as this last song plays, we'll be up front. We'll be glad to pray with you and talk to you about it right here. We'll have conversations before you leave here. That's the big decision. But no matter what you're in the middle of or expecting to come next, I pray that right now you're sensing the urgency the urgency of the early church that we should still live in. But you know what? Here's something different. Check this out. Look up for a second. They're now forecasting. They're now forecasting because of a ministry that's going on. Within 13 years, the Word of God is going to be, is going to be finished translated into all tongues on this planet. So check this out. I'm not... I'm, Vic, me and Vic talked about this for a minute before. There, there, there's, there's what I call old school preaching. I don't know where I fit in, but I'm, but I'm this mentality. I want to look at my life as God, okay, if I got 13 years. If only 13. Because in heaven it says that all tribes and tongues will lift up the name of Jesus. So they'll all have it in 13 years to the glory of God. So what do we do with 13? What do we do with 13? 
If you need anything prayed over with you this morning, we'll be up here during this song. God, thank you so much for the glory of Jesus seen, God, in Scripture, recognized in life. Lord, salvation free and clear to those, Lord, you call. God, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody that's within the sound of your word this morning, Lord, that knows they need a relationship with Jesus, that they will seek it now. God, that we will not put anything off, but we will seek and we will draw near to you. God, help us as we live in this world to take joy, to just... God, if someone in our family, if someone reacts to us, if someone looks at us, if someone doesn't invite us, God, and it comes down to we just look too much like Jesus for that environment, God, to your glory, help us to just praise you and then go seek them out in another occasion. God, whatever it is, Lord, you bring our way, Lord, we trust you. But God, now more than ever, and as we anticipate the, the public celebration of your resurrection, Lord, help us to be so intentionally thinking and hoping in new life in Jesus. God, that that reigns over every thought in our life. God, I, I, Lord, I pray that we're finished looking at our existence as we're frustrated with everything that goes on. Lord, if I, if I want to complain in my heart of complaint, I can go on for days and days and days. But God, when my heart is in Jesus, Lord, when I'm consumed with you, all I can talk is hope. All I can talk is newness of life. Lord, all I can speak is salvation. All I can speak, God, is the grace that you give and the love that I can show others. Lord, I don't have time for those conversations. Because, God, all that you've allowed us to be a part of in this season, in this time, in this world. So, Lord, help us now to be solely focused, even as we open our mouths to sing on nothing but Jesus. Jesus. God, the name that is above every name, the name that we can take solace in, the name that gives us hope, the name that would heal sickness. God, the name that would give boldness where someone would say, because what I've seen and heard, I cannot be silent. I can respect, but I cannot stop. In that name, Jesus, we pray. We sing and we live. God, I pray faithful lives for you. Amen. Would you stand up as we sing? The front will be open for prayer.